What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Hey, 
Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, yes, hello everybody. Welcome to the year 1993. I gotta say, at the risk of sounding like an old fucker, I can't believe it's been 30 years since 1993. That is insanity. I have absolutely all the memories of 1993. I could tell you about what I was doing in school at the time. I could tell you about a ton of movies that I went to go see. I could tell you about all the TV shows I watched, the friends that I had. Not that I had a ton of friends, but I could tell you about all those things. Playing basketball out in front of the townhome we were living in in Euless things like that just yeah and i always had the radio on listen to music all the damn time bs it's been 30 damn years since 1993 so when i get into these 90s retrospectives especially yes i probably have more fun musically with the 80s stuff so far at least that's been the case but i'm always intrigued to see what's out there going backwards into 1993 because I definitely had my favorite albums that I bought during that time but there's so much stuff I missed out on at the time either I got into it a few years later or maybe I'm just hearing it for the first time like ever this year at least on a top to bottom album basis when I listen to some of these records so this is the stuff that makes me the music fan that I am always digging in always finding stuff that maybe I'm not so familiar with, but also revisiting for the nostalgia purposes and things like that. I mean, like that one right there, Big Gun by ACDC, kicking off the show here today and kicking off our big, super spectacular retrospective here of the year 1993. And I'll say officially, welcome to the odds and ends of 1993. If you are a new friend of this show, welcome, by the way. Just to let you know, odds and ends are songs that are from releases uh, that are not full-length studio albums. So basically, I feel like these songs will never really get mentioned when it comes to year-end lists and critics' favorites lists for the most part when it comes time to calculate these things and put them on a list here for the end of the year. So this is basically the Island of Misfit Toys of Tunes. And specifically, on this particular four-parter, you are going to hear songs from soundtracks, live albums, box sets, tribute albums, cover albums, EPs, B-sides, single-only releases, international bonus tracks, re-recordings, and rarities collections. And at the top of the list, I mentioned soundtracks right there. And for a hard rock and heavy metal fan growing up in the 90s, in 1993, during the summer especially, there wasn't a soundtrack out there that was more anticipated than Last Action Hero upon its release because it had so many heavy hitters on there. And the big launch single for it was Big Gun, right there, by ACDC. Pretty notable recording for the band. I mean, yes, it was a big hit for them on the radio at the time. Doesn't seem like a song that's really played that much anymore, but it was all over radio for that entire year once it kicked off, or that second half of the year in the summer of 93. But kind of an important historical recording for the band. It contains a big first and last for them. It was the first song that they used Rick Rubin to do production on, and they would go on to use him for the underwhelming Ball Breaker record. 
And it was the very last recording they did with drummer Chris Slade, who's definitely a fan favorite. He's the big, charismatic, bald guy who played on Razor's Edge, played on that Donington show. But yeah, that was the last recording they ever did with Chris Slade. Yes, he came back for the Rocker Bus Tour, but he did not play drums on that record. So there you go, the last ever recording as of this date with Chris Slade right there. And I anticipate probably the last ever. I could be wrong about that, but I don't really see it happening. But hey, yeah, Chris Slade, great drummer right there. And yes, we'll actually get back to Last Action Hero later on in this four-parter of the Odds and Ends. Because we are going in alphabetical order by band. So we're going to revisit one more track from that later on here in one of the other parts. But let's get to this next one right here. This is an international bonus track right here via a Japanese release of this particular album. And I will say, I, I haven't done the absolute final calculations for the big albums countdown coming up here in 1993. But I'm getting close to finishing up all the official rankings here for that particular list. So it looks like this band might make the cut, but I'm making no promises because it's going to be a bloodbath on the final rankings because I'm not doing a big eight or nine parter like I did with some of these 80s lists. I think it's going to be significantly less than that, but we'll see what happens. Like I said, I have not finished the rankings, but I anticipate it not being a big eight parter or anything. It could be a four parter. I don't know. Somewhere maybe in the middle, but we'll see. But just in case this band misses the cut, I wanted to represent them here because they're one of my favorite metal acts. going to play you something by Accept. This is a bonus track from their 93 outing called Objection Overruled. And yeah, I could definitely see this just being a B-side and serviceable for international markets because it doesn't quite fit the album stylistically. It's a bit more of a throwback, kind of rock and roll boogie kind of thing. Actually, sort of similar to something that ACDC would do. Because when you think about like paying tribute to some of the big 50s artists that paved the way and made rock and roll what it is, you kind of think along the lines more of an ACDC than an Accept. That's just the way it is. But I dig this track because even though it doesn't fit with the record, I think it's really fun because it is one of those kind of throwback jams. And to hear Accept do a song like this, I was like, man, this is really freaking cool. So I felt the need to include it here on the odds and ends of 1993. Also in the just in case I don't get to rip Accept. They did very well in 83. We'll see how they do in 93. But until then, check out this Japanese bonus track from the album Objection Overruled. This is Rich and Famous.
right except right there with rich and famous japanese bonus track from objection overruled i dig it i if if anybody out there is a really picky voice person when it comes to their music then playing brian johnson back to back with udo dirk schneider right there probably would send some people over the edge but i dig it two very cool and unique voices right there in the history of rock as I mentioned before, I'm super curious to see whether Accept will make it to the final rankings of the top albums of 1993. See, I'm teasing the, the countdown right here. We've got four parts of these odds and ends to get through before we get to that. Here's the next entry in the odds and ends of 1993. This is a B-side for a single that had multiple releases, like tons of releases with different configurations and different B-sides and live tracks to go with it. Because this was a big, big song at the time. It was actually the launch single from the highly anticipated Aerosmith album that came out in 1993 called Get a Grip. Curious to see where that'll land in the countdown. But the big launch single for it, Living on the Edge, which was a big song, big video, the whole thing. Just like Aerosmith was doing up at the time, everything they did was big. And I remember even reading at the time, like through Metal Edge and Rip and stuff like that, that there were problems in the sessions of Get a Grip because they recorded and thought they finished the record, but the label came in and said, you need more commercial songs, which is why there's a lot of ballads on that record. A stupid amount, actually. And a lot of the rock songs fell by the wayside, but they did record them. They, they were in our corner on this one. They just played the game at the end of the day, unfortunately. But here's one song that didn't make the record and didn't make the international version either. Like I said, it was on the Living on the Edge maxi single. So I wanted to include this one since it's a true B-side and doesn't fit anywhere else except in this single. It did eventually, I think, get put on the Young Lust double disc anthology, which is a cool anthology. But the first time you would have ever had a chance to hear it is if you bought the Living on the Edge single with this on it. So here is Aerosmith with a cool little rocker that got cut off of Get a Grip. This is Don't Stop. Don't know if love, love ain't true 
All right, there you have it. Don't Stop by Aerosmith, the official B-side for Living on the Edge, along with another song with a very similar title called Can't Stop Messin'. So, yeah, they were back-to-back, uh, if you got the particular maxi single with both those songs on there. That was a Tyler Perry song with the collaboration with Jim Valance, who Jim Valance I knew as Brian Adams' songwriting partner and band member right there, for, I think still to this day, if I'm not mistaken. But... If you want to bash like the Aerosmith songs like by Desmond Child, that's fine, I suppose, or especially the Diane Warren song. But I will hear nothing of you bashing Jim Valance Aerosmith songs because those are good songs. Was it Ragdoll, Other Side, Eat the Rich? He, he did a lot of those. I think he even did Hangman Jury and a few other cool deep cuts. So, yes, Jim Valance is a very good partner for Steven and Joe. So you will hear zero Jim Valance bashing on my show. Guy even wrote stuff on Creatures of the Night, one of the greatest sounds of all time. So yeah, he's the man. I would shake his hand for that. Okay, this next one right here. Probably one of the most anticipated odds and ends for me at the time in 1993, and I still love this to death. So as a kid who was already a massive music nerd, reading magazines and newspapers every day to get as much info as I possibly could, I do remember specifically reading, and I want to say it was in Rolling Stone, and they were talking about Anthrax's Sound of White Noise record coming out. There's a little blurb on it, and they had mentioned that the band had recorded, much like they always do, a handful of covers to be used on B-sides and soundtracks for future use. And it's interesting to think that at the time, the band won't know really where the songs are going to land. I always think that's kind of interesting, actually. But I remember specifically the article mentioned the four songs that they had recorded as covers, and that would be Thin Lizzy's Cowboy Song, Kisses, Lover All I Can, which I, I couldn't wait to hear that when it was announced. Cheap Tricks Off Feedersen, and this one right here. And I remember going, oh man, I can't wait to hear what they do with this one. This was already a song from one of my favorite albums of all time at that point. So just like two of my favorite things coming together right here. I love when that happens. And so I waited and waited. And, oh, yeah, there was one other song that they recorded. So the first thing I think that came out was the maxi single for Black Lodge, which had Lover All I Can and Cowboy Song on it. And then by the end of the year, this one had come out. This was the one I was waiting for. By the way, the one I forgot about was them doing the Smiths London. That got put on Airheads, which you will probably hear on next year's 1994 Odds and Ends. But back to 93. By the end of the year... Big Christmas product CD, as I like to call it, something they definitely wanted to get out for Christmas because it was the biggest thing going, the Beavis and Butthead experience. The TV show was on fire, no pun intended. And the roster for the soundtrack was, once again, like Last Action Hero, a bunch of heavy hitters. And Anthrax was going to be on it doing this cover right here. Originally from the Beastie Boys masterpiece, Paul's Boutique, this is Anthrax covering, looking down the barrel of a gun. Can't be 
Much like they did on 1987's I'm the Man, that was Anthrax covering the Beastie Boys. On I'm the Man, they were definitely paying a lot of tribute to the Beastie Boys, but I like the fact that it's very much the core three that did the rapping on I'm the Man, Charlie Benante, Frank Bello, and Scott Ian playing the different parts of the three Beastie Boys, of course, Mike D, MCA, and Ed Rock, and they're each taking their turns on those particular things. And that's what Anthrax does. They're enough of fans of the music that they cover 100% that they go out of their way to make it a little more authentic than the average cover. Like every time they cover a police song, they've done it a few times. Frank Bello always sings because he's the bass player. So there you have it. Anthrax covering Looking Down the Barrel of a Gun, the full-length kickoff track of the B-side, the flip side, I guess, if you will, of Paul's Boutique, a masterpiece of a record that you need to go hear. And yet, speaking of masterpiece albums, if I am right about this, I could be wrong. I could be Billy Joel. But if I'm wrong about this, somebody out there let me know. But if I have it right, we're going to go into a box set right here, and I think one of the first ever albums to get its own box set release, like the full sessions and the whole thing. I think the first record to ever get one, fittingly enough, would be Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. And yes, that box set came out in 1993, chock full of tons of outtakes, alternate versions, stuff like that, and definitely one of the highlights, which I I think technically this song actually did get released officially for the first time in 1990, but it's on this box set as well. So I wanted to represent the Pet Sounds box set because that is a big deal, a whole album getting a box set because it is that important. So I'm going to include something to represent the Pet Sounds Sessions box set with the alternate version of I Know There's an Answer, which became a favorite amongst a lot of alternative acts, and like Sonic Youth I know covered it. Frank Black of the Pixies definitely had the most popular version of this particular song. And I guess the reason why a lot of the newer alternative bands at the time covered the alternate version of I Know There's an Answer is because the lyrics were changed heavily, not just the song title, but the lyrics were changed quite a bit because as the story goes, Mike Love, yes, the predominant villain of the Beach Boys, did not dig the original lyrics because he thought they were a little too pro-drug because that's where Brian Wilson was at at the time. He was into a lot of drugs. So he demanded a rewrite. He got his way. But the lore of this song definitely invites something a little more postmodern, alternative, a little hip and cool kind of thing, I suppose. Not that drugs are cool, but the image, I suppose, is the key thing. But there you have it. In case you've never heard this before, I figured this is a good place to play it. Here is the original version of I Know There's an Answer, officially called Hang On to Your Ego. Check it out.
Beach Boys right there. Hang on to your ego from the Pet Sound Sessions box set, which came out in 1993. Definitely would not be the last album to get its own box set. But like I said, I feel like it's the first, but maybe I need to do some more digging. Anybody out there, if you know different, let me know, because until then, we're just going to make it official, aren't we? Okay. So wasn't the easiest transition to go from Anthrax to the Beach Boys or anything. But I've got a great transition here for you for this next song because going from Brian Wilson to a guy I've seen actually do a co-headline show with Brian Wilson before and unfortunately someone who left us this year, Jeff Beck, the now late great Jeff Beck. So usually an act will put out a covers album paying tribute to a bunch of bands that they're influenced by or just songs that they like. But Jeff in 1993 put out a tribute record to one specific act with this album right here called Crazy Legs, officially billed as Jeff Beck and the Big Town Playboys is the backup band here. This is 100% a tribute album to Gene Vincent and his Blue Caps. And the reason why Jeff Beck did this, I mean, yes, he's a big fan of that band. And it's the whole band and everything, but Cliff Gallup, who was the lead guitar player for the Blue Caps, 
was absolutely the A number one influence for Jeff Beck. If you ask him, he would tell you that. And I specifically remember he did one of those iTunes guest DJ slots. And I used to love that podcast. They don't do it anymore, but they basically did a sit down with Jeff Beck and Johnny Marr. And you could hear Jeff just nerding out on Cliff Gallup. It was so fun to hear. I love when I hear really famous musicians go nuts over somebody else. It's like the coolest thing ever because it proves that they're still fans. And you can hear that little kid in their voice. But yes, Jeff Beck, big Cliff Gallup guy. And apparently Cliff never played with a guitar pick. Much like Chet Atkins, he was a finger picker. And he used those like wraparound things. So Jeff said that at one point before Cliff Gallup passed away, he had flattened out some of uh, his custom-made finger-picking things and sent one to Jeff Beck. And he was like, it's my prized possession. So pretty cool. The guy that got you into it acknowledged you with sending you like a piece of himself, basically, because Cliff Gallup was a lifer, much like Jeff Beck, played till the day he died. So I think that's super cool. So I wanted to point out this release that happened in 93, the Crazy Legs record, paying tribute to Cliff and his time in Gene Vincent and the Blue Caps. It's a fun little record. If you're looking for some fun 50s throwback and you want to hear Jeff Beck just nerd out and go crazy with these guitar solos, because as I mentioned before, Cliff was like a Chet Atkins type finger picker. So to hear Jeff just go crazy on this style, if you're a guitar guy, you need to check this out. So here's one of my favorite tracks from it fun little 50s kind of girl car jam right here called Pink Thunderbird. Here you go. I got a pink thunderbird with a red plush seat. Well, baby, it's mine. I got a new brick house and a tin car port. Baby, they're mine too. I got a bank account, a baby filled with greens. Baby, it's all mine. There ain't nothing I got, baby, you don't need Well, anything I got, baby, you can have it Anything I got, baby, you can use Anything I got, baby, you can have it Yeah, you wanna say I do, I do, I do, I do Yeah, at the end of the lake, baby, that's mine. I got a million cows that move and wine, baby, they're mine too. I got a factory and an airplane too, baby, it's all mine. There ain't nothing I got, baby, you don't need a well, anything I got, baby. You can have it, nothing I got, baby. You can't use anything I got, baby. You can have it if you want to say, I do, I do, I do, I do. It's mine. I got a new brick house and a two car park. Baby, they're mine too. I got a bank account, a baby filled with greens. Baby, it's all mine. There ain't nothing I got, baby. You don't need well, anything I got, baby. You can have it. Nothing I got, baby. You can use anything I got, baby. You can have it. You wanna say I do, I do, I do, I do. I
There ain't nothing I got, baby, you don't need it. Well, anything I got, baby, you can have it. Nothing I got, baby, you can use anything I got, baby, you can have it. You know what I say? I do, I do, I do, I do. All right, a little fun cover there of Pink Thunderbird, originally done by Gene Vincent and his Blue Caps. Cover there by Jeff Beck, the Big Town Playboys. That was Mike Sanchez on lead vocals right there, in case you were curious. Oh, man, yeah, so... I'm positive I mentioned this when I did my Jeff Beck tribute show, but if you haven't gone on a bit of a YouTube journey with Jeff Beck, especially doing some of these cool covers and everything, just to watch the man play, I know that, of course, like a lot of guitar players, Jeff Beck was a big Les Paul guy. Go look up Jeff playing Les Paul's How High the Moon. You can find tons of versions of it out there, but it's just so fun to watch. And that's one of the great songs anyway, but yeah. Okay, Uh, actually a better transition than one would think going from Jeff Beck to this act right here. But I'm going to play something now off of another tribute album, albeit this was a various artists tribute album, but it happens to also include Jeff Beck on it. He plays on the track right after this one right here. So you can't get better than that. Come on. Even though the styles are almost completely different. I just love the fact that the Jeff also played on this tribute album, and rightfully so, because I'm talking about Stone Free. It was a tribute album to Jimi Hendrix. At this point, the record industry is in full-on tribute album mode. It pretty much started at the dawn of the 90s, and it only got bigger as the decade went on. Definitely probably peaked in the mid-90s, but right now, run to Hendrix, who of course absolutely deserves a tribute album, and you know they could have made a box set to pay tribute to Jimi. But they kept it to one CD. There's a lot of cool acts on this thing, like Jeff Beck, like Living Color, like Slash. And they threw in a couple of modern acts for the kids to enjoy, like Your Cures. And I think the Spin Doctors are on there, which is... Anyway, but this one right here, this, this one means a lot to me on some principles. This was the playout song on one of my all-time favorite episodes I ever did on any podcast when I was on Cobras and Fire. Did a nice big long discussion with me and LC about iced tea, a national treasure. And I'm going to give you one of my little nifty Joey theories right here. I'm pretty sure that this song was recorded during the height of the body count cop killer controversy. And I remember ice doing a lot of interviews talking about how songs like these have been going on for a lot longer than you think. But if it's done by older artists then they get a pass Despite the fact that it's a Jimi Hendrix song, albeit a, a cover song, because it was originally just an old blues standard. It's public domain at this point. I'm talking about the song Hey Joe. Of course, the first time any of us heard Hey Joe, we're like, wow, that is a crazy-ass song. Guy, he's not going to go kill the guy that messed around with his old lady. He's going to go kill his old lady. That is some wild shit to put on a record, for sure. So... This song, Hey Joe, which, if you don't really know any better, it sounds like they are for the killing. (laughs) Because there's no real consequence other than the fact that he's going to go south of the border after he does this killing so he doesn't get arrested. So, you don't know. You don't know how it ends up. You don't know if there's a consequence to it. It just happens. So, that's the point that Ice was trying to make. It's like, this is a song that you hear on the white radio stations and you're okay with it. But when I talk about killing somebody it doesn't matter if it's a cop or whatever he was just merely pointing out the hypocrisy and probably some of the obvious racism of what's going on like so 
I think it was absolutely brilliant that Body Count covered Hey Joe for the Jimi Hendrix tribute album. And it's a damn shame because obviously radio stations weren't going to touch this version at the time. Not that they ever played Cop Killer. They sure as shit didn't. They didn't play anything by BC on the radio. But it would have been amazing if they had embraced it for radio because it really would have proved the point that a lot of people, including Ice-T and Body Count, were trying to make. So this is definitely a should-have-been-hit song right here. So let's play it here on the 93 Odds and Ends for Rock Strikes 10. Here's the great Body Count with the great Hey Joe. Enjoy.
All right, a cover of a cover of a cover of a cover of a cover right there. Body Count doing the Jimi Hendrix version of Hey Joe specifically right there for the Stone Free tribute to Jimi Hendrix record. There's a handful of good stuff on there. Like any tribute album, there's not really a perfect tribute album out there. So the best you can really hope for a lot of times is that it's like 75% good, but more often than not, it'd be 40 to 50% good for my average. But yes, Stone Freeze got some good stuff on there. Like that version of Hey Joe. I love it. And this next song definitely features another Hendrix disciple on lead guitar on this particular song. And I think a few background vocals by the same guy. But if you didn't know ever, Lenny Kravitz did appear on a David Bowie song, and it's this one right here that I'm about to play for you. I'd like to play something from David Bowie's Buddha of Suburbia album, which I can technically classify this as an odd and end release, because technically it is a soundtrack. It gets credited as an official studio album by Bowie, but that's because he is the 100% predominant artist on this soundtrack. Much like Curtis Mayfield and Superfly or Isaac Hayes and Shaft, it's the same kind of thing. I really should not have mentioned those two iconic, great classic soundtracks along with this thing. Because it's not a great album, but it's got a couple of good songs on it. So I wanted to play something by it. Also, I could pretty much tell you on a spoiler tip right here, the David Bowie album, Black Tie, White Noise, from 1993, is not going to make my albums list. That is one of his worst albums, and I would say pretty much avoid it pretty much at all costs. For completists only, and even then, I don't think you have to get it. But let's play something off of Buddha Suburbia, which is the soundtrack to a BBC miniseries movie that was based off of a book. <laughs> There's an odd and end for you. So there's about two or three good songs on this, maybe. There's a song that sticks out on it called Strangers When We Meet, which is good on this record. He wound up redoing it for the outside record, which is a much better album. So a good song that got to be on a better album. So good for that song. But I'm going to go ahead and play the title track, which he plays the title track at the beginning of the album, but then he revisits it at the very end and the reprise version of Buddha of Suburbia is called the rock mix of it. So this is a rock show. So let's play the rock mix. Also, we get to feature Lenny Kravitz and David Bowie on the same song together. And I think that's pretty damn cool. So here you go. This is the rock mix of the title track to the Buddha of Suburbia. Enjoy. Oh, 
pretty cool moment right there in the solo section where you got Lenny playing lead guitar and you got Bowie rocking out on the saxophone right there. Yes. If you didn't know, Bowie is a very accomplished saxophone player. I mean, he's not a virtuoso or anything, but he could definitely wail when he wanted to. So there you go. Buddha Suburbia, their rock mix by Bowie. Because we got to play Bowie on principle. This is definitely the time where he's at least doing something every year. So let's include him because he's one of the greatest of all time, right? Okay. I don't have to over-explain it. Let's just move on. So this next one right here is a cover of a song that was originally done by a band you heard earlier. That's fun, right? And really, I'm not a huge fan of this band, even remotely. I have definitely reviewed a couple of their records so far for possible inclusion on these countdowns, and they have yet to make it, and they're not going to make it this year either, even though they would have their biggest success in 1993. And I do think that they do have a handful of good songs, including their big hit. And another really great reason to love the big hit by this band, because I know that's normally not cool, especially in these kind of circles, these alternative rock circles in the 90s. But the Breeders right here having a moment, 93. Their last Splash record is doing pretty good numbers. They're actually getting played on radio and MTV and the whole shebang and still got their rock credibility in the alternative circles and indie rocks and college rock radios of the world. But yes, who doesn't love Cannonball? It's a fun freaking song. And I remember specifically going to someone's house in around 93, 94, and they had the Cannonball single, the Maxi single. And I was like, holy shit, is that what I think it is? And so I was like, yeah, put on that B-side track. Holy crap, that is that song. I love this song. So yeah, I immediately went out and found the maxi single of Cannonball because once again, I like the song. But bonus, you couldn't get this B-side on anything to this day. I have never seen it on anything else besides the streamers, but it officially belongs to the maxi single of Cannonball. And if you didn't know, the Breeders covered one of the greatest rock songs of all time in Aerosmith's Lord of the Thighs. And you're going to hear it right now. Check it out.
There you have it, the breeders right there doing their own interpretation of Lord of the Thighs. And you definitely, more often than not, want to cover the song in your own style. And that's definitely to their style. It always kind of reminds me of the Flying Lizards version of Money, because it's kind of the same vocal approach, like that blasé, don't give a shit attitude, which has definitely made a big comeback in this decade, that kind of alternative female vocal style. I mean, just look at the success of Billie Eilish, so... And there's nothing really wrong with that. I could take it or leave it sometimes. But yes, that was The Breeders. Probably a four-track recording from their living room or garage doing Lord of the Thighs. And I'm glad they put their own spin on it because you really can't beat the original. That original is so fucking good. And even the most drunken, outlandish live versions that Aerosmith have recorded of that over the years, they're all great. That song is definitely a top five Aerosmith song for me, no doubt about it. But there you go. In case you never heard that, Breeders doing Lord of the Thighs. I think that's kind of neat. And once again, you can only find that on the Cannonball single. We're going to finish things off tonight on this particular part with a tune from a live album. Now, this band right here, I have often said I'm a best of fan of this band. And this band actually put out two different live albums in 1993, almost back to back, which was a disaster for them in a sense. I, I don't know if it was a financial disaster so much, but I do remember seeing both live albums consistently in all the cutout bins. Yes, at one point, Best Buy had a cutout bin, and I remember it well because I bought stuff out of it. Quite a few cool titles, actually, but these two live albums by The Cure, Show in Paris, were constantly in that cutout bin. So it made me think that th- these didn't really sell very well because... Live albums are a tough sell, especially in the 90s. But yeah, I have gone on record when I play The Cure on my show. I always say that I am a best of fan of The Cure. So it should come as no surprise that the live album that has the more commercial songs featured on it, that being the one called Show, it's no surprise that I'm a bigger fan of that one than the Paris record. I listen to both and I always try to do the deep thing with The Cure, but I just can't get into it. But yes, if you're a hardcore fan, you want to check out the Paris live album because it's definitely got the deep cuts on there. But I'm definitely a show guy because it's got the singles. So I'm not going to play something from both live albums. Although, I've got another band coming up here on the 93 Odds and Ends that also put out two different live albums. And I will feature a song from each of those. But that's coming up later on a future episode, sooner than later. But until then, let's finish off the show with something from the show album by The Cure and a nice little couple skate only to close out the show here tonight. This is Pictures of You.
say that there's one thing you could never ever accuse Robert Smith of not being and that is not being genuine in his wistfulness and delivery when he does songs like that like Pictures of You because you really feel the out and out desperation in some of those Cure songs and that's the charm of them if you're into that sort of thing but yes Pictures of You right there I just actually had a memory just pop right in my head that I only ever had a handful of babysitting gigs in my life 
But I just happened to get a babysitting gig from my next door neighbor at the townhome I was living in that I referenced earlier because, you know, we were very friendly with them. We knew them very well. Of course, thank God. I mean, can you imagine not getting along with the person in your townhome? That would really suck. And I'm sure that happens to a lot of people. We got lucky with ours. It was a single mom and her son. And I guess I'd have been around 13 or 14 and the dude was like seven or eight years old. But I remember the mom had like a date and she went to go see The Cure play at Texas Stadium uh, on the Wish Tour. And that was them at the height of their powers. And I remember like getting home real late. I mean, it wasn't a big deal. We lived right next to him. My mom knew where I was and all that kind of shit. She was probably out dancing anyway that night. Fuck it. But I remember like, man, it's a long ass show, I'm sure. And they came back and they were all buzzed over the show, which is great. It was great to see that they had a good time, despite the the fact that they went to see The Cure, which is weird. They're playing at uh, Texas Stadium, which is where the Cowboys play. It's just weird to think that The Cure were a stadium act, even in the States at that point, and in the South, no less. And I still remember them saying, yeah, Robert Smith was wearing a Dallas Cowboys jersey. And I'm like, that is so weird. Can you imagine? Like, it just doesn't seem like something he'd do, but okay. But yeah, that was one of my only babysitting gigs was uh, while they went, all these people went to go see The Cure. I babysat her son. So, all right. Uh, story only for me, but yeah, it literally just popped in my head. So I needed to get that off my chest and talk about it for no reason. But I'm assuming that, that was probably in 1992, but this is about 93. And we just finished part one of the odds and ends of 1993. We'll be back probably tomorrow, the day after with part two, because you know I will. I gotta do these marathon episodes so I can just give them all to you all at once. Hopefully you're enjoying it as much as I am. Stay tuned for part two. We're gonna play a lot of other great tunes. Hope you enjoyed this one. Feel free to let me know what you liked and what you didn't like. And to get you along and tell you how to do that, stay tuned right here for my better half, Nola, with the plugs followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have Rock Strikes 10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris where cinema's trash is treated like treasure, and the I Am Vinyl podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on Sirius XM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, 
but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Post-game show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.